This is MuggleCast, the Harry Potter podcast discussing everything about J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World. Welcome to MuggleCast episode 342. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. We're joined by one of our Patreon Slug Club members this week. Irvin, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm psyched to be here. It's it's good to have you on. You've written for MuggleNet for a long time. You've done some writing for yep. Hypable. And you've also been a long-time MuggleCast listener, so... Yeah, since 2009, I think. Awesome. Sweet. Awesome. Well, it's good to have you on. We have a lot to talk about today. Uh, it, was, it was an interesting week with The Cursed Child on Broadway tickets, so we'll talk about our experiences with those. Mm. Um, we're also going to talk about another new Harry Potter book that just came out. What? So yes. We all have it. We all went through it. I understand Irvin was up till 2 a.m., I'm Study. doing my due diligence. Yeah, good. good. So this is the great part about having guest hosts on. They they get really prepared, so they can like <laughs> cover all of our faults. So right. we'll just They're sit back. Prepared in yeah. some cases. <laughs> and we're like, oh, we've been doing this for 12 years. We don't need to prepare or anything. I roll out of bed two minutes before the show starts. Just kidding. Half hour before the show starts. <laughs> and a couple other things to talk about today as well. But first, let's get. Fi- um, Let's get Irvin's fandom ID. What are your Hogwarts and Ilvermorny houses? Uh, my Hogwarts house is Ravenpuff. I have trouble deciding. Mm. Mm. Did you speak? Did you purchase some of that crest crossed merchandise? Yes, I did. My friend gave me the Ravenpuff T-shirt for my birthday, and it's like my favorite thing ever. Awesome. For anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about, there's this artist. Uh, she has this business called Crest Crust on Etsy, and she merges Hogwarts houses. So if you can't decide, you can buy a tie or a shirt or like a a vinyl. What is this? A vinyl crest. And, uh, you know, you could be a Slitherpuff, a Griffinpuff, a Griffinclaw, a Ravenpuff yeah. like you. Know, you. Slitherpuffs are surprisingly common. You wouldn't think, but I know a lot of them. <laughs> Um, how about your Elver Morning House? Screw that. I went to Hogwarts. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's a first. Okay. That's a good answer, actually. Why do we all pretend like we went to two wizarding schools? <laughs> well, guys, we all live in America, so I hate to bug you with the facts here, but we wouldn't have gone to Hogwarts. Oh, okay. Uh, what's yeah, your- but the, all the Elver Morning writing is so bad. Just I, I don't acknowledge it. Well, I think that's probably why it was stopped being written, so... Yeah, exactly. You're deeply entrenched in fandom, Irvin, so what's your favorite wizard rock band? Um, well, that's a difficult question, because I have a lot of favorites. Uh, I think the one that got me into wizard rock was the Moaning Myrtles. Okay. Uh, Their song, Prefects Are Hot, just, like, tickled my fancy. That is a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. I like, uh, And Then I Died. Yes. Oh, that one's great. And Lauren Fairweather still performs that at Wizard Rock shows. Because oh, the great. Myrtles broke up like somewhere near 09. I only got to see them live once or twice. Yeah. Uh, but then I died is still a standard. <laughs> and also just Swish and Flick is the best. Um, I think I've written to you guys a couple times about them. But she puts on live shows like nobody else. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I will say some of these Wizard Rock artists put on really good shows. I can still remember... The Moaning Myrtle shows, particularly, and then I died, because yep. they they do put on they do 
They're they're talented. They're fun. They're they're fun yeah. to see live. Well, at Malfoy Manor, they're they have quarterly shows now, uh, where they just get a bunch of wizard rockers at Brian Malfoy's house. And the first one I went to featured a surprise Moaning Myrtles reunion, and everyone just lost their mind. <laughs> like it was the biggest thing to ever happen in Wizard Rock. Irvin <laughs> Ur- talks about Wizard Rock like I talk about Bruce Springsteen. I saw them before they <laughs> broke up. There was a surprise band. I couldn't believe it. Hey, speaking of Andrew, you just saw Bruce Springsteen's on Broadway, didn't you? I did. I did. Ooh. Oh, Mazel Tov. There, there's uh, two Andrews now. Before Springsteen on Broadway, and after Springsteen on Broadway. But that's besides <laughs> the point. Was was this the show that uh, Billy Joel was at too? No, but I went to the show that Oprah was at. Whoa! Yeah, okay. I f- not as cool, but okay. I miss Billy Joel by a day. Oh, I thought Oprah was cool. There was there was like whispers and rumors throughout the venue. I was like Oprah. Oprah's here. Oprah. They were like speaking. They were like speaking Voldemort. No, I, and- I just happened to see Billy Joel on Jimmy Kimmel, and he was talking about how he went. I guess were there a couple of shows this week, or is it's officially open now? How is... Yeah, it's six days a week. Wow. Yeah. yeah. The rumor mill is that they're going to extend it past February because it's making stupid amounts of money. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Howard Stern like... was there too, Andrew. I know you're a big fan. I know. I missed them all by day. I would have yelled Baba Booey if I was at the Howard Stern one. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let's get back to this. Uh, finally, what is your favorite Birdie Bot Every Flavor Bean? Um... This is going to sound weird, but the grass one really doesn't taste that bad. Okay. <laughs> Irvin's different. I like it. Actually, not yeah. finally. What, finally, that's what bold, is... That's a bold choice, Irvin. I like it. Thank what you. Is, what is your favorite Harry Potter book and movie? Uh, favorite book is Half-Blood Prince. Uh, movie is the first one. Um, but I'm not a big fan of the movies. I think once Chris Columbus left, they all just kind of went very far downhill. Okay. Okay. They're controversial, controversial, but thanks. It's, it's good to have you on the show. Um, thank you for your support over on Patreon. We appreciate it. And you actually started your own Patreon recently, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I was inspired by you guys. Um, I've been writing essays from MuggleNet as their controversial columnist for (laughs) six or seven years now. Uh, and I wanted to see if I could maybe, you know, get a community going like you guys and, you know, maybe get some financial support while I was at it. Uh, so, yeah, it just launched. It's uh, patreon.com slash hpboy13. Um, and hopefully, you know, I can get even a fraction of your guys' success. Cool. Yeah. Well, I know you're a really good writer. Thank um, you. So everybody should definitely check out Irvin's work. He has some uh, great opinions and he puts them to paper very eloquently. So... Thank you very much. Yeah, Appreciate absolutely. That. I mean, the most of what I read is your Dancing with the Stars stuff, because that's what you put on Hypable, but <laughs> True. I'm sure your talents <laughs> translate over to Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I mean, I wrote about Puffs for you guys, and that translated really well. That translated really well. Puffs put up one of Irvin's quotes on a, on a banner in New York. And... Yeah, my, my words are on a billboard, and I kind of can't get over it. Yeah, yeah. And I can't get over because it, it, it credits Hypable right on the banner. I was like, whoa. Yep. Yeah, that's cool. Um, okay, so let's talk about Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Speaking of New York, move over, Puffs. There's a new Harry Potter show coming to town. Yeah, <laughs> Puffs is still the better one. <laughs> um, the, so, so this past week, the actual tickets for Cursed Child on Broadway went on sale Last episode, we didn't know if any of us would receive codes, 
And then believe it or not, Micah, Eric, and I, and I think you two, Irvin, all got put on standby. Yep. None of us got codes, guys. None of us. I was actually shocked because I, you know, we just mentioned that Springsteen show. I, I got I got onto that while other fans were rejected, so I thought felt very lucky, and I was coming into Cursed Child with a lot of confidence, and then I felt so let down when I got the text message. Well, and considering the hassle just to become a verified fan of getting that email, getting the website to work, and then getting the email, to then be put on standby, which wasn't, to my knowledge, an, an option even, like, it just, because they didn't say anything about it earlier. I mean, I just assumed if you were a verified fan, you'd either get a code or a different window, maybe a later window. Standby just surprised me. And it wasn't just us. I did a poll on Twitter. Uh, 69% nice said they were put on standby. 19% got uh, a code. And then 12% voted. Ticketmaster said I'm a fake fan. (laughs) So the the large majority of people got placed on standby. Now, with that said, some people, including Micah, you got you ended up getting a code, right, later in the day? Yeah, early afternoon, I got a text message with a code, and uh, we had already resolved our situation, <laughs> so it, it wasn't a huge deal, but I was g- still trying to go on and get tickets, but in terms of what was available... Those twenty and forty dollars seats were uh, were hard to come by, if especially if you were looking for two tickets. So I had to go well into the uh, the fall of next year, and and actually didn't even end up purchasing tickets. Uh, and so I was going to ask though, what's going to happen? Uh, you know, so let's say you didn't end up getting anything, you stayed on standby. Do they have a plan, or did they communicate out to say? Okay, there's going to be a next wave of tickets that are going to be well, yeah, available in, to people. In their email, didn't they say, uh, if you get the email that says, uh, sorry, you didn't quite make it. Um, so if you were on standby and then you never got a code, they sent a follow-up email saying, uh, there will be numerous opportunities to, to purchase tickets for Harry Potter and the Cursed Child Parts 1 and 2 before it opens. Right. So what does that mean, though? Does that mean that you'll be able to get tickets that they have set aside within the block that's I doubt already it. been released? Or I these are additional it. tickets like heading into 2019? Yeah, I think that uh, what it means is before April when the play opens officially, more tickets for much later dates will be available. That's how I read it. But it's purposefully yeah. ambiguous. It's awful. It is ambiguous. I mean, that sounds weird, though. They don't usually sell more than like a year, year and a half in advance. Right. Right, that's what I'm thinking. So, so I think they will release more tickets for maybe the previews, and then the regular shows as well. Yeah, I, I think they did hold some tickets off. But ba- getting back to what Micah said about his experience, and you mentioned the prices, I saw two common things for people who did get access. Uh, one, they couldn't find cheap tickets, and two they had a hard time getting the number of tickets that they wanted to get. I know mm. a few people who were trying to get up to six tickets, and they only ended up with two. Uh, I was in... I was uh, One of my friends was like, hey, I'm going to have an extra ticket in my group. Do you want in? And I said, yeah. And then he went to try and get tickets, and he only ended up with two. Huh. Yeah, yeah. that would have been the worst thing ever, is to finally get on and see a message saying, well... 
How about two? <laughs> yeah. We know you we know you said you wanted six. How about how about two? Um but they can foresee the future, Eric. They know that you're really gonna only end up going with one other person. Well well, well that my that's... friend uh couldn't uh didn't have the time to go through searching for tickets, so she gave me her code and told me to like find tickets if there were any affordable ones. Uh-huh. Uh there was nothing less than two hundred bucks a piece. So yeah. no well, tickets yes. for us. Yeah, well so the 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 thing about this is too like what people had to do because of the verified fan process and because so few people actually got you know codes to to go on you pretty much had to find a friend who did get a code and go in and basically you know those designated code verified friends of yours would have had to have really shouldered the burden of getting all six tickets basically the max tickets i think this is what the majority of people ended up having to do is just just get together, you know, safety, power, and numbers, and but then then you're you're held to all finding the same day that works, and also the same you know price level for tickets. So it's it's a bit hard, you know. It was a bit less convenient than it could have been, um, but given that only sixty nine or sorry, like nineteen percent of people even got codes, that just shows how much demand versus um seat uh capacity they probably have for this theater which is shocking yeah so um one of our listeners katie was gracious enough to let us in on her registration code yes and eric this yes this this is a game changer this was this was a game changer oh it was yeah we were all bummed about about get about not getting a code because come on we we wanted a code, and uh, Katie said, "Well, if if there's anybody who should see this show, it's you three. So here, did she Aww. say that? Yeah, she actually said that. Oh, that she's super sweet. But wait a second, is she not? Wait, oh, I just this just dawned on me. Is she not going with us? No, she's going. Oh, she's good. Going. But her husband had to sit home because our group is five without is five oh, without her. Oh, oh, I see. Oh, yeah. well, that was nice of him. He didn't well, have to do that." He, I got a his birthday was yesterday too, so we all have to go in on a on a gift form. Um, but uh, but yeah, so so it's Katie, uh, the three of us, and then Andrew and Edward, our friends in Chicago, and we're going. But like the only way it, it could have happened is if she was generous with her with her code, and she was. And I can't imagine you know in groups getting figuring out any other way that this could have worked. It it worked exactly the way it had to. Yeah. And I kind of have a funny story about this. I'm sorry, Eric, but I yeah, have go to go ahead. Tell I know you've been wanting to tell this all week. You even, <laughs> you even previewed it in the Facebook group. You're like, oh, wait till you see what Eric did to us, guys. <laughs> so we knew, Micah and I knew that Eric was going to be doing this. And so Eric's ready. He, he, he gets, he secures tickets. But he had never asked us about how much we were willing to spend. And... We kind of just assumed, I guess, Mike, correct me if I'm wrong, that Eric would just, you know, before buying the tickets, like, be like, hey, guys, how do you feel about spending this much money? Because we didn't know what type of tickets he was getting. That's what people normally do. Right, (laughs) right. We thought maybe, and and maybe he would try to get tickets that are affordable that maybe you don't even have to ask us for the, if if you want to spend this much. Right, yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so... (laughs) So a few minutes after the sale takes place, Eric's like, I got the tickets. And then he sends another text. You each owe me $424. And I'm like, what? For, <laughs> what? I thought, he, I thought he was kidding. I almost, I, 
I was like, is this a joke? I can't tell. <laughs> and then he sends a follow-up picture with the total bill, and it's like $2,200, $2,400. I'm like, it's like, yeah, it's like $2,595. I'm like, oh, my God. He just bought me a $424 ticket, and he wants me to pay for it. A show I already saw. And I'm like, <laughs> I was like, Eric, I I just spent four hundred dollars on a Springsteen ticket under protest, and that's Springsteen. I I don't want to spend four hundred dollars on a cursed child ticket. Yeah, so, Micah, could you believe this? No, I'm speechless. I'm still I, I, from earlier this week, from Wednesday. I I uh, as, I'm stunned. As as soon as you said that, I looked back in the text message thread because I was sure at some point. I discussed price with you guys because my my intentions all along. Sure, twenty to forty bucks would be. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. My, intentions, my intentions all along were to. I didn't want to pay one hundred ninety nine dollars a ticket. And here's the problem with Cursed Child in particular: it's per part. You're paying per part. So not only is it one hundred ninety nine dollars a ticket, but then that's for parts one and two, and after tax, it's four hundred twenty four eighty five or whatever. So what I was interested in was first and foremost uh, looking for those $20 and $40 tickets because the website says and seems to allude to the idea that there's actually good seats for $20 and $40. That, all the signage that I was reading suggested that there would be $20 and $40 seats in reasonable parts of the theater. So I got a code. I was on the website right away. I had previously logged into the Ticketmaster account that was associated with the code. I was ready. I had already added it, added my card to the account, everything. So I'm on, and I get in, and right away I'm able to look up the calendar. I didn't have any errors with the website, right? So, so I you get got in. Lucky. Yeah. Oh, I, I realize now after reading the horror stories that were going on around Twitter around the same time, my experience is very much not everyone else's. But mm-hmm. I, I went on and I, I, I immediately clicked on uh, April 25th, which it turns out is opening day, um, and clicked on the twenty to forty dollar ticket option for best available and what came up was uh the very back section of the theater yeah and i just said well if that's best available this isn't going to work and quickly because i knew time was of the essence i backed out and chose best available in general and it placed us in the orchestra. The other angle was that um, the other people going with us were willing to spend as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. So, so Andrew and Edward uh, have never seen this. They, they, so they, we lose out, Andrew. That's exactly. Well, Which is fine if they it. want to spend as much as they want, but that doesn't mean we should. Well, they, they described it as a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And, and, and under much duress, like, the whole thing is that's the problem with doing, you know, the group of six. The three of them were, were, were very eager to spend um, what they needed to for very good seats, for a good experience. You know, the three of us on this podcast, a little less enthusiastic about seeing it live, but through, through, through this whole situation, because I didn't want to let them down by getting cheap seats in the back of the theater when they're already going to, uh, you know, New York yeah. for it. I figured, you know what, this is the, this is the opportunity I'm going to give Cursed Child a chance, right? Like I'm going to, we're going to do it up. We're, sure, we're seeing it this way. <laughs> We're seeing the show on opening night, orchestra seats, and you know I'm just not gonna if I if I come out of this show after finally having seen it, having bashed it for years on on the podcast, if I don't like it still, 
It's not because we had shitty obstructed views. No, I thought he was going to say he was going to refund our tickets. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Micah and I are announcing today a new Patreon, patreon.com slash help Micah and Andrew pay for their cursed child tickets. No, 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 no. Um, there's look, one four hundred dollar level to heckle Death Eaters. I mean, there's got to be something that that comes of this. Well, it's I, opening night. I think Joe will be there. I mean, come on. Pretty much, I, I think anybody who's anybody is going to be there the same night. Us? We are <laughs> sit next to us. Sit well, next to us. I um, maybe they might have a special opening show. I don't. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. But it is I cool. Mean, you got tickets for opening night. Yeah, I mean, because the, the thing is, the tickets are the same cost if you get them opening night or in the middle of November next year. Like, they're, they're still the same price, which is, is steep. Well, that's, that, yeah, no, that's a, that's a great thing, that they're, that they're for the first night. I will say that. Well, there. So, you're, you're welcome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. No, but I, just to touch on this for a second, because there are other appearances that JK Rowling has done in New York city events that we've all gone to and they were affordable. And I think, you know, that's just for, for another example at work, I know somebody who purchased tickets, they told me I just spent $1,200 or $1,400 on tickets to go see this play. And yeah, to me, that's just, it's crazy to think that, that people will spend that kind of money well, I, I think I think you're overlooking a crucial point, Mr. New York native, which is that Broadway, Broadway tickets. Yeah, I, I get it. I, I mean, I that, that's it. normal. Like I just I put I just booked tickets for um, Thanksgiving. I'm coming home. By the way, Mike, I'm coming to your town on Thanksgiving uh, or Black Friday, actually, to book tickets for my mom to see The Lion King and I. And uh, not the Lion King and I, me and her. That's a mashup. I would totally watch that mashup musicals. Um, no, no, to see the Lion King and tickets were like $230 a person each. And like, it's crazy. So we're seeing something else instead, but Broadway tickets are just that. That's just the, that's just the, the, how much they cost. Yeah. So um, we got, a, we got a couple of voicemails, people calling in with their own experiences. Let's listen to this one. Yep. Hey guys, Alexa Ackerman. I am calling from somewhere in the middle of Illinois, and I was finally catching up on your podcast from the last two weeks. And I wanted to call you and complain about Ticketmaster's verified fan page thing. Um, basically, tickets were going on sale after people got their access code for like $1,700, and I think that is completely ridiculous. These people aren't fans. They are 100% ticket scalpers who are trying to make major profits, and poor people like me could not get tickets to see the show. Anyway, I hope to hear your guys' thoughts on it. And uh, love your show. Keep going. Bye. So... She is referring to the StubHub market where people can put their tickets up. And she's right. Tickets are going for a lot of money on there. The thing is, they are trying to prevent tickets from being flipped. Um, I know that you can't actually get a hold of your tickets yet, even if you purchase them. Right. Right, Eric? Yeah, that's that's exactly true. The options are will call, which you need the credit card that you paid with, and a photo ID with your name to prove it's you. Um, or mobile, which means they text 
your 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 cell phone the week of the show, pretty much like the day or two before the show, they they'll text you an image with your your tickets. Like those are the options. There's no yeah. print at home. There's no you know hard copy ticket even option available. I don't think. I don't want to get into theorizing here because we, we don't really need to. But people are putting their tickets on StubHub still, so they've they've got a plan. And you know StubHub has this fan protect guarantee where if you buy tickets, you will be going. These aren't fake tickets. So um, I'm just looking right now. There's a bunch of tickets available available per, per show. Um, each one for sale does include parts one and two. I'm seeing like 22 tickets for one show, uh, 30 for another, which honestly isn't too bad considering it's a 1500 seat theater. That's a very yeah, I very heard it's small better portion. than usual uh, on StubHub for this. Yeah, and it could just be people who are going to see it, but then bought five other tickets that they want to sell. Yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe they want to pay off the the expenses involved in getting themselves to the show. Yeah, yeah, that's so, true. So, yeah. so we'll see what the market Eric, looks like as time goes on. For part one and part two, the same price. These tickets. Include part one and part two. So, for example, Saturday, March 24th, the cheap, cheapest tickets, and this includes part one and, and two, start at $990. Oh, Jesus. Oh, dear God. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but yeah, but Eric, so, when you purchased, let, let's say part one cost $199, did part two also cost $199? Yes. Yeah. yeah, there's no way. So, so you're, you're in the same seat. For both parts, no matter what. So to me, see that that's where they could have done some cost saving for the person who is going out and spending all this money. And I get it; I know it's Broadway, but still, if you're going to both of these shows, and you know, to me, if you were saying, okay, spend two hundred dollars on a ticket to go to to go to one show, I probably feel a little bit better about it. But mm. the fact that you have to spend another $200 to go and see the second part because you're not just going to go and see part one and just say, okay, you know what? I'm good. Yeah. Unless it really sucks. But, you know, I, I think they could have done more there. They, they could have helped people out so that it, if you buy the bundle, there's a discounted price. Yeah. Buy two yeah, and get $50 off your order. Well, I, I think that's fair. And, and not to mention service charges and fees, which in this case, God, I didn't even notice because it wasn't even itemized. But um, <laughs> it just, you know, again, Broadway tickets They're buying for my mom the other the day. Ticket, the service well, charges and taxes. Well, when I was buying tickets for uh, or trying for the, the the Lion King or whatever, it was 130. No, I, I ended up seeing Chicago. We're going to go see Chicago, which is funny. I'm going to see Chicago in New York. But we uh, the tickets were $139 each, which was fine. But then the service charge was $50 per person. So it was an extra hundred dollars of services and fees, and this is on the main Broadway website. I ended up going. Oh, yeah, I ended up using. Yeah, Stubhub. Broadway ticket fees are the worst. Like you should see the lengths that me and my friends go to to not pay those fees. Yeah, like we people go into the box office, like we set up this whole thing. But yeah, just and it's, it's hugely inconvenient. To pay that much. It's hugely yeah. inconvenient. And so, really, when it comes down to it, this whole verified fan process, getting back to Cursed Child, the question that I'm asking is. You know, did it really prevent scalpers from getting a hold of these tickets? And I think, for the most part, it did. I think so as well. I, but I, at the cost, at, at, at a great cost of inconveniencing some of the most hardcore Harry Potter fans. 
And here's the thing. We saw 70% of people end up on standby. There were a ton of people who wanted to see this, despite the mixed reactions to the script book. Everybody still really wanted to go see Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. And the thing is, it will remain on Broadway forever. It'll probably tour the country simultaneously, just like Hamilton is right now. It's staying in New York, but it's also in Chicago and L.A. right now. And it'll be in other cities. It'll be around. Everybody, as J.K. Rowling has promised, will get the chance to see it. Here's one more voicemail. Um, This person had a positive experience. I got tickets. Uh, Yeah. Uh, June 13th. Both parts. I'm really, 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 really excited. Uh, It's the day after my high school graduation. So that's fun. Uh, Yeah, but we got them. (laughs) I love these people just call and give us status updates. Yeah, yeah. They don't even like, they don't introduce themselves. They're just like, hey, what's the. What's their yeah. name? Where are they from? We have no clue. Uh, but this this guy also called in earlier in the day <laughs> just to say that he got got an access code. Oh. <laughs> uh, you can't anyway. beat that excitement. He's going June thirteenth. That's my mom's birthday. Not to make oh. the show all about my mom. But anyway, take her. It it was a stressful process. It a lot of people got screwed, but a lot of people did get tickets. They may have to wait longer. Because tickets were very limited and demand is high. But like I said, let's not be too negative on this. I think I don't think they could have done this any better than they did. Getting back to that person who who was complaining about the scalping, I, it's inevitable. It's just inevitable. You can be a Harry Potter fan. You can look like a Harry Potter fan and also want to flip the tickets. Like I'm not above flipping tickets from time to time. You just flipped a Bruce ticket for a real profit, didn't you? No, I didn't. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, I thought you said like, <laughs> it was like for eight hundred, and you sold it for fifteen hundred. I definitely did not double my money on a ticket. Oh, okay, You're crazy. Okay, right. <laughs> hmm. Hey, look, if all else fails, Eric will get you tickets. <laughs> yeah, you might be paying a I lot, but he'll get you that. tickets. I got you covered. But yeah, I was looking at our our text message. I did float the idea of a hundred and thirty ticket, a hundred and thirty ticket per part. I did say that. I was, well, that's that still half of what you ended up. The, yo, yeah, yeah. That, but that, that was what I was going for, but there was no way to distinguish between the twenty and forty dollar tickets because it was twenty, forty, eighty, and one hundred thirty, or one ninety nine inclusive, best available. So it was like it was a real mix. But like, anyway, I hope I didn't betray any trust, but I think we'll come around on the cost. Well, yeah, I, I just got a new job, so that's how I'm yeah, paying it well, off. There so you go. we'll have to we'll have to take up a collection. <laughs> Anyway, that's all for now. We'll keep everybody updated on future Cursed Child ticket sales. Like we mentioned a little while ago, they are they they are saying that uh, more will become available. We just don't know for what dates. It'd and just there, be so much easier if they just sold a, a, a theater perform like a, a a movie if they just filmed it and released it to everybody for twenty bucks. Yeah, but then they wouldn't be able to sell those four hundred dollar tickets. So. Yeah, it is a weird. I don't sentence. know if that's true. I think they could still sell four hundred dollar tickets if there was a movie. Like, yeah, I think people so play a high premium on live theater, but they haven't yet sold the video. So, I guess that must mean what they think. I agree with you. I just think it would take away a lot of the demand. The fact that you can only see it on Broadway right now makes makes for all this demand because a lot of people don't want to spend more than twenty dollars. And travel for this too. So, yeah. So let's 
get to this new book that was just published. It's called Harry Potter, A Journey Through a History of Magic. Now, what is this? Um, There is a new exhibit opening at the British Library called Harry Potter, A History of Magic. And this was put together to celebrate 20 years since Philosopher's Stone was published. And it's not just about Harry Potter, the exhibit, slash this book, as the name may suggest. It's also just about the history of magic. And what's cool about this exhibit and the corresponding book is that it shows you how J.K. Rowling's creation ties into the history of magic. Um, But it also features a lot of original Harry Potter stuff, including some very interesting pieces from J.K. Rowling's archives, some sketches of hers that we've seen before, but also some new ones. Like there's this one of Professor Sprout that I'd never seen before, um, a map of the Hogwarts grounds. There's also some early manuscripts for Harry Potter itself in this, some really surprising stuff. Um, I mean, that alone is worth the price. Like, when I came to the drafts of Sorcerer's Stone, I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, we actually get to see the drafts of these books. Yeah. And we'll get into some specifics. But first, I want to say, just when I was paging through this, it the book is beautiful. It's it's a paperback. It's very well put together and very well designed. But also, it kind of just feels like you're touring a museum. Because you get to see the full versions of the manuscripts that they're sharing at the museum. Mm-hmm. Um, and the sketches, and J.K. Rowling's handwritten notes. Yeah, no, they're very generous with content, which is which is frankly superb and unusual. Um, mm-hmm. Because I, you guys remember the HP exhibition uh, called Harry Potter: The Exhibition, yep. which is Where you touring. Take yeah. Photos. Uh, yeah, you can't take photos, but also um, they sell a book that's really like this, but it's just. It's it's just photos of the artifacts that they have in the exhibition, which artifacts, I mean, they're props, let's be real. Um, it's just a photo book, like, a, oh, here's your photo guide of the stuff that you saw today. Um, you know, professionally taken photos in the right light because you're not allowed to take photos. This is very much not that. This is very much an instructional, like informational, educational, kind of well-thought-out narrative through real history and its concern with with witchcraft and the different subjects at at Hogwarts that are really boiled down into what real people across time uh, have practiced and done. Going back to, I think, 7th century is something that I found, something here from, uh, you know, the 800s or something. So it's 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 wholly unbelievable and and supremely great. That's what I liked about it. I, I like the fact that it laid it out course by course. You know, we just did an episode not that long ago talking about the different Hogwarts courses. So this is almost mm-hmm. like a good compendium to that, uh, just because you do get the real-life application, like you were saying, Eric. They talk a lot about the history behind each of these different courses and you know the different objects or creatures that play significant roles. And you don't realize how much of this is rooted in truth in some way, shape or form, or, or at least what people believed all the way back in the day about certain things. So, I, and I also really like it's kid friendly. Um, you know, so if a kid picks up this book, I found it funny, like all the little um, experiments and, and projects that you can do where yeah. they, 
make a point of saying, have a parent do this, have a parent do that. So uh, I think, you know, it's something that uh, people of all ages can get um, something out of. So one of the first things we get to see, which I don't think has ever been revealed before, is her own synopsis of the first Harry Potter book. Right. You can see she typed it out mm-hmm. on a typewriter. Um, it's about one and a half pages, and she, sh- she summarizes what, what happens in the first book. And what's interesting about this is she wrote this herself to submit with her manuscript to publishers. Now, according to this book, this is the one she specifically sent to Bloomsbury, who really started this whole phenomenon uh, when yeah. they decided to buy the rights to it. Um, and she wrote the synopsis in 1995. Um, oh, yeah. Well, and that, and that's something this book keeps reiterating is that she planned the seven book series from like 1990. There's sketches and drawings from 1990 in this book that are by J.K. Rowling. Yeah. She, she planned it from 90 to, to like 95. So it took her five years. And these notes, which we've we've heard tell here and there about, you know, there being like an entire, I don't know, wardrobe size cabinet of just shelves and shelves of like old napkins and stuff. This is a collection where this is an opportunity to see them. They actually have them. They have handwritten chapters too, like of yeah. books, like handwritten chapter parts of various books. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah. And it's somewhat comical that we owe the Harry Potter series to an eight-year-old girl. Uh, I don't know if, if you guys read yes. the, the intro um, that talked a little bit about Nigel Newton from Bloomsbury – Mm. Who was the yeah. one who ultimately greenlighted um, or or chose <laughs> to uh, to I don't know what the official term is, uh, but you know move ahead with the Philosopher's Stone. He he took home the initial um, manuscript manuscript that J.K. Rowling put together and, and gave it to his daughter, and his daughter approved and wanted more, and so he moved forward with it. And, Alice, her name is Alice Newton. And that appears on page seven. So I wonder yeah. if, if, you know, she gets credit somewhere along the way. Is she is she thanked in any of the uh, forwards to any of the Harry Potter? <laughs> no, I we don't think so. Her. We can thank her. Here's Where is a, she a, now? Let's do an yeah. interview with her. So they have a, a small scrap of paper that she wrote her her dad, this Nigel Newton at Bloomsbury, which uh, says, and it's, you know, not bad handwriting for a kid. The excitement in this book made me feel warm inside. I think it is possibly one of the best books an eight or nine year old could read. <laughs> She's right. Yeah. And what's also crazy is they kept these, this note after all these years and now it's on display in this exhibit. And she had only read a f- the first few chapters, I think. <laughs> she didn't even get the whole thing. Um, so then after the J.K. Rowling synopsis, the next page, there's another really cool document. It's her handwritten map of the Hogwarts grounds. And you see the Quidditch pitch, you see Hogwarts, you see the greenhouses, you see Hagrid's hut, you see the Forbidden Forest, you see the Whomping Willow. And at the top half of the document, she notes that the, that the Whomping Willow, quote, must stand out. And so from here, you're you're kind of already seeing her lay the groundwork for future books. And actually, speaking of the Whomping Willow, this is getting really far ahead. But later in the book, there's like this alternate scene where um, they actually 
they Harry and Ron crash the four Anglia into the Black Lake. Yeah, and then have a conversation with uh, one of the Mer people. Yeah, it's yeah. Un- the Mer people have to like pull them out of the water. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So what's also so special about this book is that you also get these alternate scenes which we had never seen before. It's yep. it's really unbelievable. Yeah. Um, on page 50, there's the original Sorting Hat scripts, which I thought was very cool, because once again, this was handwritten. And on the page before, well, on pages uh, 50 and 51, this is all on, um, you can see J.K. Rowling's handwritten notes on deciding on a Sorting Hat. And it wasn't always going to be a hat. She was also considering... Um, other statues which is what ended up going into ilvermorny kind of yeah yep um she was also thinking short straws eeny meeny miny (laughs) moe this stuff arbitrary list right yeah Yeah. well what i what i love about this sorting hat uh song notes here is because stuff is crossed out and i really really want to try and make sense of what almost was a trait for the houses you know yeah it's like he was just discarded what what the hat was originally going to say about each house yeah. Um, but I can't. I mean, I went through it. It seems to be pretty close to what ended up happening. Uh-huh. Like yeah. the Hufflepuffs became just instead of fair, which pretty much means the same thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. In Ravenclaw, wits are prized. Now they're found. But yeah, mm-hmm. like the song. The song is pretty close. Here's here's an alternate. Uh, originally, it was going to be you could be born for Hufflepuff. You could be born for Hufflepuff, and that was changed to you might belong in Hufflepuff. Oh, I yeah. like born for. That's born kind of for. A yeah, romantic. But I mean, way to I think it. the emphasis is more on choice than as the book stopped. Yeah. So. Yeah. Are you hmm. born? Also, one Hufflepuff? of the options. Uh, sorry, uh, yeah. one of the options for sorting was a selection committee of the heads of houses mm. deciding oh, which kids they prefect. want. Plus prefects. Yeah. Yeah. But I just kind of want to see, like, McGonagall, Snape, Flitwick, and Sprout sitting around a table deciding. Yeah. Oh, it's very much like Shark Tank, right? Like, I'll bid this <laughs> yeah. much. You know? <laughs> or the voice. If their their chairs face the other way and they hit a button and turn around. Nice. And I like the, the ghost court idea. That's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Having the ghost decide. But it's like the Sorting Hat works the most because they're actually – the Sorting Hat's actually reading their minds. Like, how are these uh, teachers or ghosts going to decide – who belongs in which house? Yeah. So, sorting hat. Well, the, well, then on, on the very next page, talking about Joe handwritten stuff, on the very next page, do you guys know where you were on December 30th, 1990? No. Alive? Uh, not yet born. Not yet born. Sims, were you? Like one, uh, I was right? a, a year and a half old. Yeah, I was only like two. Um, because that's the date on this drawing of Diagon Alley, of the entrance to Diagon Alley, it's six images of the bricks and the pattern that they make when you open, like there's the, the rubbish bin and the bricks, and then basically an exact visualization of more or less what happens in the movie eventually. You know, J.K. Rowling, this is what she was doing on December 30th, 1990. She was drawing this picture. And it's just so, for, for a moment, when I got to this drawing with this sketch, it really felt real for me because there's a specific date that she drew it and it really hit home that she worked on this, this series, this book for, for just so long. And it really did spring from her imagination, like entirely. You can tell that she's, 
she was just so excited. She again that photo of Sprout that you mentioned, like she had these people in her mind, and she just had to draw them so that she could, you know, see them and 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 use the other senses. And it's just it's amazing. I love how artistic J.K. Rowling is, and I love how that that blends modes and transcends modes. How she's yeah. writing or drawing or you know explaining, and she's musical and historical. I, and also, these images are really, really detailed. I'm just thinking about how, like, each brick is, like, filled in. And there's yeah. six of these brick walls. Like, she was doing all this. She actually did all this. It's kind of crazy. It would take a lot of time to make all these sketches. Yeah, I wish I could do this on the train, you know? It, yeah. 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 I just wish I could draw. I can't draw yeah, this. That too. that too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a particularly interesting section on page 63 where let me get to it we see they start talking about the the hogwarts subjects and teachers and there's these documents in which she's planning the teachers and what each of them teaches and then on the bigger note she writes down certain teachers and what books they're going to be in well yeah like defense there's a list of defense against the dark arts teachers and what year they teach which this is the craziest thing. So Quirrell is listed under book one. Lockhart is listed under book two. And Remus Lupin is listed under book three and book seven. Yeah. So I wonder... Well, Lockhart's if, also listed under six. Right. Lockhart and six. So I wonder if 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 Lockhart or if Lupin was meant to come back to Hogwarts in an earlier kind of outline. Yeah, well, that certainly seemed. I thought that was one of the biggest surprises, and that's what I wanted to talk about. Lockhart coming back in six. How would that? Because that's Snape in that book. Mm-hmm. So she was considering continuing to not give Snape that position. And I, mean, I, hmm? I don't think it's them coming back as teachers. I think it's just them showing up again in the books. Because hmm. you have both Lockhart and Enid Pettigrew showing up in six, both Lupin and Pettigrew in seven. So uh, hang on. Well, let's just hold you there. Who is Enid Pettigrew? I think Rowling just likes the name Pettigrew because she keeps trying to find a place to use it. Because uh, in the middle of the page, it says that Enid Pettigrew is going to teach divination. Right. Yeah. So unless she was going to transfer from divination to defense against the dark arts in year four. Yeah, Enid Pettigrew is written three times on this page. It's crazy. At the very top, it's the first thing written. And then down below, yeah, it's just... It's She's weird. like, okay, I'm going to plan out the subjects and teachers, and I'm going to get this name, Enid Pettigrew, in here Enid somewhere. Pettigrew. Well, and then there's somebody who's only listed for book five, this guy named, I assume it's a guy, Oakden, Oakden Hernshaw. Yeah. And then on the previous on the previous note, it's Oakden... Uh, where is he written here? Uh, at the very bottom when she's listing defense teachers. Hobday. Yeah. What is what is written next to Ho- Oakden Hobday here? Is it major person, minor person? Oh. What it, how do you make that out? I, it almost looks like <sighs> Maylor person. Yeah. Maylor person, yeah. But so she changes last night, even between these two pages, Oakden Hobday, Oakden Hernshaw. These characters who may or may not, I mean, maybe he's maybe ended up being moody. You know, I don't. Oh. oh, you know what it is? I think it's Myler because in the middle of the page, there's a Myler Sylvanus. Mm. Oh, yes. thank yeah, you. Right. Good call. Right. Yeah. And then, if you also look um, earlier on that page for divination, there's a character called Mopsis. I feel like she's talked about this character before, but Mopsis. never ended up uh, 
Yes, yeah, yeah, she has. Um, I, I think somewhere on her website. It's just this is this just is blowing my mind. Absolutely, just blowing my mind. <laughs> They're very cool. Yeah. I mean, just imagine. Uh, and I assume there are even more documents like this at the actual exhibit. So I really want to go to it now, and even just to see these firsthand, because like the stuff punched out on a typewriter or actually written down, like this is these are treasures. Harry Potter fans. Yeah. We'll love to get up close to them. Now, there is a huge scene on page 90. And this one was arguably one of the coolest parts of this exhibit book. Um, in it, there is... So, in the scene, first of all, Fudge is a muggle. Yep. And he works with Vernon Dursley... Yep. And Hagrid comes to Fudge to fill this muggle in on Voldemort, who's described as like a red-eyed dwarf. This is like Cursed Child all over again. (laughs) (laughs) This is a story that was always meant to be told. And so this was supposed to be for book one and early on in book one. Like, I think this may have been like the opening chapter or two. And then Fudge goes to Vernon and says, hey, you got to take this kid in. You have no other choice. And Vernon resists at first, and then he realizes that he has to. Um, there's four pages here, and you see, you see the full alternate scene. It's really cool. And as this book notes, it's reminiscent of Fudge visiting the Prime Minister of Muggles in the first chapter of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. And then there's this quote from J.K. Rowling right underneath that little fact and it's, and it's marked 2017, so I think they asked her to comment on it. And she says, I often cut ideas and put them into later books. Never waste a good scene. Yeah. Uh, which reminded me, uh, on her website, way, way back before Half-Blood Prince came out, she posted a little thing about the opening chapter of book six, where she said, I've come close to using a chapter very like this yep. in Philosopher's Stone. It was one of the discarded first chapters, Prisoner yep. of Azkaban and Order of the Phoenix. But here it finally works. Yep. Thank you. I remembered her touching on this before, but I could not remember. Yeah. So, I, I have a master file of like all the apocrypha she's ever put out. So yeah, control F. Yeah. <laughs> now, but yeah, so here it is. Here's the original like here it is where it would have been in book one amazing right weird too so weird fudge a muggle vernon working with fudge that would have just like changed a lot in future books hasn't changed at all well well that's the whole thing is too this uh this scene talks about how dumbledore has a plan to kill voldemort and yeah like how voldemort's not even human and some interesting stuff about the evolution of Voldemort because he was not, I don't think he was always in the book says something like, Oh, it took some time for Voldemort to evolve into the terrifying villain. He ended up being um, or something to like play down, but he's sort of more of a creature. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, He's not even really a person here. Right. I'm glad this chapter didn't make the cut. Like I like the fact that it was modified. It was changed because it just doesn't read the same to me. And, and then I think having the context of the entire series obviously helps, but this seems just a little too off to me. Mm-hmm. Which there, is were, the, there were sections yeah. that were missing, right? I mean, it wasn't, I don't think, sort of the full. Um, 
I guess not. Yeah, it might have it might have jumped a couple pages, I think, at one point. Um, or some of these excerpts do. Like there's one on one page and then the one that's a few pages later. But And I yeah. just love there's a line, I think, Hagrid from Hagrid where he says that Dumbledore is working on figuring out how to take down Voldemort. And that just I'm just thinking about Dumbledore was thinking about the Horcruxes back then. Oh, but then but then at the very it ends with uh Hagrid telling Fudge that Dumbledore wasn't even able to put his plan in place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because whatever happened with this boy happened with this boy. And that's really weird. So that's super, super clear, though, how the whole connection between this boy and, and Vernon comes to be. It's just like the kid is there. So that's what I'm saying. It seems like some of the text is missing. I think Hagrid dropped him off or something. He is still his uncle. Yeah. But, but, but Vernon has aspirations of replacing Fudge as as Muggle Prime Minister. Yeah, which is interesting because that means that like the Wizarding World was much less entrenched in the real Muggle world in this original draft, because well, she's just m- making up fictional uh, Muggle Prime Ministers. Well, yeah, maybe, or or it could just be that originally the muggle side of things was going to be very much more hostile towards wizards the way that vernon is hostile towards harry yeah um which is what we get in fantastic beasts and speaking of fantastic beasts there's actually honestly a lot of stuff in here that i think is still relevant for what might be coming um what might be coming and 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 this is this is great so one of the subjects they delve into although it's not taught at hogwarts is alchemy and there's i think like a six meter long scroll uh that has just existed for years and years i wrote this down uh that's in this book and in this museum this this is just what blows my mind is that this is the british museum they have had these artifacts these tapestries just in storage and they bring them out due to their relevance and connection with harry potter it just absolutely blows my mind uh, on this. But yeah. the stuff about Flamel, who is an actual person, uh, his actual gravestone, which seems to be recreated for the upcoming Fantastic Beasts sequel. J.K. Rowling tweeted about it. Very interesting there. Maybe the part of the film will show how he faked his death or just isn't really in the graveyard where he is. Or maybe I'm, gonna, I'm calling it right now. His gravestone is an entrance to an underground tunnel where he lives. <laughs> um, to, uh, to I like it. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I don't know. I just think that uh, it's it's really fascinating stuff that's highly relevant, and really also intrigues me due to like you know this is real world history. These people at one point really existed and yeah. really believed in magic. There's like this witch's broomstick that's in the museum. Like I just I love every second of it. Uh, I wanted to ask you guys, do you think that George Ripley on page 34 might end up showing up in the next movie? Uh, he's the guy who apparently wrote The Compound of Alchemy, uh, a book on how to make a philosopher's stone. Oh. So could Rowling bring him in? Here it is. Here's the six meter uh, tapestry thing they have. The yeah. Ripley scroll, it's called. Um, yeah. I don't know. I look if not any if Nicholas Flamel is going to be in this movie, why not? Why not just throw in more alchemists? George Ripley can come. This film won't be about Newt, Tina, Queenie, or Jacob at all. It's just yeah. how many alchemists fit into a, a Harry Potter sequel. 
Maybe he won't be in it, but it'll be referenced. His work will be referenced. Yeah. Because, geez, if he wrote the book on how to make a Philosopher's Stone, that definitely seems like something that would play into this. Yeah, because like you guys said, I think an episode or two ago, Flamel was working on the Sorcerer's Stone for like 600 years before partnering up with Dumbledore. Maybe right. Ripley was his original partner. Well, it's and it's important to note that he clearly perfected the stone when he was still quite young, like within the first 80 years of his life. Otherwise, he would have died of old age before being able to, you know, create the stone to begin with. I mean, wizards might live a little longer, maybe to like 150, like Dumbledore is, and stuff without the stone. Um, although I just wonder if Dumbledore has ever tried the elixir or something like that. Very weird, because he is 150. But yeah, whatever whatever work Flamel did on alchemy, he was successful hundreds of years before Dumbledore was even born. Yeah. Um, and then there's this thing. Who who put this in about the or the things of Dumbledore? I, I made a note of it. Go ahead. Um, 129 uh, is actually a really cool layout of her plans for the fifth book order the phoenix kind of jumps from one chapter to the next if you can make out her her notes there but um one thing that they called attention to is the fact that the order of the phoenix and dumbledore's army originally had reversed roles so the you know the group that harry gets together to practice defense against the dark arts was going to be called the order of the phoenix and sort of the second iteration of what we know as the order of the phoenix was going to be called dumbledore's army so hmm. which makes so much more sense for why it's titled harry potter and the order of the phoenix <laughs> uh well yeah the, the phoenix is still very prominent are they though they yes. show up like in three chapters yeah, but it's still a big deal. They're looming. They're looming. Harry Potter and the okay. Dumbledore's Army. Why wasn't it called that? Yeah. yeah. But, but because Rowling cool. like, announced the title of Order of the Phoenix like in 2001, I think before she made this switch, and then she was like, well, damn it, all the trademarks have been filed, all the marketing's been made. <laughs> you know, I, I really would just like more enlarged prints of this. This is just, this is insane. Especially because at the bottom of 129, they have five or six more pages. I um, want those pages. I want them so much. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. Because I think this one that they've uh, magnified was available on her website. If you like, you know, clicked around and did whatever mystical thing you had to do. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen before. it before. Yeah. Like, I think Josie Kearns at the Harry Potter Companion actually uh, called out that Dumbledore's Army and Order of the Phoenix were switched around because I've heard that before. Hmm. Yeah. But this very uh, but, last, the very last image here that's in the bottom right, I really want to know what that says or what that's all about. Um, it yeah. seems to be a list. It seems to be a little bit different than structure of chapters, or maybe it's just a period to write even more notes. Maybe this is all supposed to line up. I'm not 100% on it. Yeah. but Well, just, can we talk about the fact that apparently Harry was supposed to have occlumency lessons with Snape the entire book? But he keeps skipping the lessons uh, before, like, uh, the holidays, before the attack on Arthur Weasley. Is that oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I think the second to last column is Snape and Harry. Uh, and then in one of the cells, there's actually a line that says, Snape going ape at Harry because he doesn't come to lessons. <sighs> I think in 22. That would have been a good scene. 
I would have liked yeah, to see right? Harry avoiding it and like, you know, grappling with it. Like, oh, he wants me to go, yeah. but I don't want to go. Yeah. But that's also kind of not like Harry to skip scenes or skip yeah. skip classes like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm on right. Harry's side in this. I think they really should have illustrated just how and why it was so important. Um, but they, because this was the book that Dumbledore refused to talk to or even look at Harry. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that could have been handled better. And apparently they had a lot of rows about it. I think chapter 16 is a row about Harry not going to lessons. Yeah. There you go. So, yeah, it was going to be a whole subplot. And there's also a character called Missy Slipkiss that keeps popping up in this outline. That's a funny and I name. Can't, I know, and I can't think who it's supposed to be. Luna Lovegood. That's actually Micah's drag name. That's kind of a funny coincidence. Oh, that makes sense. No, no, no. It's, it's probably Luna, Luna Lovegood. You know, slip yeah. kiss, love good. Huh? Yeah. Huh? Ah, I see what you did there. <laughs> um, anything else to say about the oh. book? There's, I mean, we could go through all of this page by page. There's a ton of stuff, but. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, yeah, just one other thing. At, at the very end, uh, kind of similar to the way the book started out, there's, there's a little piece by Steve Clovis, who's a screenwriter for, I think, all of the movies except Order of the Phoenix. Is that right? Yeah. So, and it's just interesting. Yeah. He talks about how he came across the series, not all that dissimilar from how Nigel Newton came across it. Of course, he didn't give it to his uh, his eight or nine year old daughter to read, but uh, he he mentioned something which I guess is common in in the film industry called a log line, mm-hmm. which he read uh, about the Philosopher's Stone, and he had a bunch of other scripts that had been sent to him, and for some reason this caught his eye and uh he made a few phone calls he went out he bought the book he actually had trouble finding it initially uh he's based here in the u.s as opposed to i think most it was of listed the in the international section <laughs> yeah he had to go to the international section of of the store he went to in order to find this book and he just says he read it deep into the night and the rest is history so it, it's interesting to hear these stories from you know nigel newton steve clovis we've had david Heyman on the show where he's talked about it and yeah. similar stories uh, and how, you know, this is all kind of happened because of chance, right? Just right people at the right yeah. time yeah. wanting to to take a chance on this project. He, he also criticizes the cover art for the original children's edition of UK Philosopher's Stone, which I think is extremely on point. Um, he says that the, that this kid looked university aged uh, standing in front of the train and the cover almost turned him off he almost put the book back after finding it in the store because i don't know he didn't like the cover well you know what i'm going to say don't touch the <laughs> cover yeah exactly. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well that's the lesson to us all but i mean you know as somebody too who read the first chapter of goblet of fire first and disliked it i was like what's going on i didn't understand it this idea of coming to harry potter and not immediately embracing it resonates with me and then immediately do, doing like a double take and eventually finding to, that you love it so much. So yeah. he ends that note with always, forever, you know, something like that. And it's really sweet. Can we please talk about page 30 and the handwritten draft of the last chapter in Sorcerer's Stone? Because I think this was my favorite part of the whole book. Yeah, tell okay. us about it. 
Okay, so it's a draft of the opening of Chapter 17, The Man with Two Faces. And a lot of it is pretty close to what happens, but there are all these little things buried in there. So apparently, um, first of all, there was a thing where Quirrell overheard Harry and Ron talking in class about the Philosopher's Stone. So he burned a warning into Harry's bed. Uh, That was a subplot that was cut out. Um, There was... Now... Yeah. That reminds me of the burning the message into the blanket in Cursed Child. Mm. Oh, so Rowan always had that idea. To get across time. That's why, remember uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how she was listening to all these plot ideas, and she was like, yeah, that feels right. That feels right. That's why that felt right. (laughs) Huh. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Um, well, and also I really liked Coral's turn of phrase when he's like recapping all his failures. At one point, he's like, blow me if I didn't fail again. I, I'm Which, reading that. Yeah. <laughs> little, uh, uh, little dirty. Right. I'm but sure my favorite thing written. is that it actually confirmed a theory um, that I've wor- uh, been working on for a long time. Uh, so I wrote a book about uh, Dumbledore uh, where I like analyzed what was going on. And one of my theories in that book is that the protections surrounding the Sorcerer's Stone weren't in place until the holidays. And here at one point, Quirrell set, uh, it says that Quirrell needed to see what was guarding uh, the stone on Halloween when he tries to get past the troll. So the protections were not in place on Halloween. That so, scene is in this book, too. Uh, nearly Headless Nick comes to Harry for advice on something. And it's, yeah, tipping it's, off Snape. Yeah, and it's the beginning of that chapter where Harry and Ron go and accidentally lock the troll in the bathroom. Um, yeah. It's it just, it's crazy. This is just, you know, maybe a collection of maybe 12 pages tops of original drafts of these books, and the possibilities and original intentions of the author are endless, like unknowable yeah. and extremely and- fascinating. I'm so excited. I now need to go edit my book, uh, which is good because I'm meeting with my publisher in like two weeks to discuss uh, when we're doing edits. So What's this book? Are you writing Scorbis fiction, fan fiction? No, I defer to you on that. Oh, OK. Uh, I wrote a book just analyzing the entire Harry Potter series uh, through the lens of what Dumbledore knew, what he was planning, what he was up to and, you know, why he did it all. Uh, oh, wow. I'm calling it the life and lies of Albus Dumbledore if I can get away with it. Oh, wow. Uh, I, yeah, you yeah, probably can't get it, away with it, but that's a cool I mean, idea. I want to try. But so it got picked up by a publisher in May, uh, and so oh. we're going to begin working on it soon, hopefully release it next year. Uh, Call so, it The Life and really Lies sad. of Dalbus Almondor. That Bumbledorf. should be fun. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Dumbledorf. Yeah, he's one of these rejected <laughs> names, or the, yeah. one of the names uh, Fudge tries to Fudge use. Fudge gets wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Well, I think only Albus Dumbledore is trademarked, so maybe if I include all his middle names, I can get away with it. (laughs) Of Brian. Just use Brian. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The life and lies of Brian. Brian. (laughs) Um, All right. And then real quick, you mentioned this earlier, but I thought it was a pretty big change of Harry and Ron crashing the the Ford Anglia into the Black Lake as opposed to the Whomping Willow. Yeah, I mean, it's a full-blown scene. Like, there's dialogue and stuff, too. This is on page 120. It, it's typed out, so it's easy to read. Highly recommend checking that out. Yeah. More physical descriptors of the mermaids than appear in Goblet of Fire. 
Yeah, I was going to say, the Mer people don't get introduced to us until Goblet of Fire. This would have been a much earlier introduction, but I think it's set up well, the Whomping Willow for, for book three. Yeah, well, and yeah. also it makes the second task much more effective if you like aren't familiar with Mer people yet. Mm-hmm. Good point. Later in this book, they kind of look to the future of Harry Potter, sort of, but not really. Um, you, they do mention Cursed Child. They mention Fantastic Beasts. And there's a couple sneak peeks of the Fantastic Beasts Illustrated Edition, which comes out in November. Uh, Ooh. Yeah, so if you can't wait for that, um, buy this book and see a few pieces. But anyway, this book is $12 on Amazon right now. Wow. It's, it's like kind of like an oversized paperback. It's really nice. So... This is a great Christmas gift for you or someone else or any other holiday you celebrate. Um, it's it's really cool. I'm glad they did this because, like with Cursed Child, most of us will not be able to get to this exhibit. So it's a this is a good way to um, feed the fans who couldn't yeah. see it otherwise. I know. I, I was so bitter about that because I was in London for September 1st. And when oh. they announced the exhibition was opening like three weeks later, I'm just like, why? Yeah. Well, there is good news. This is coming to New York next year. So Yes, and I will be there with, you know, bells and whistles and robes on. Right. <laughs> when? When is it coming? I don't know. They did announce it, though. Huh. I gotta look that up. Hey, yeah, I, I mean, I, again, I'm really into it for the for the real-life artifacts, too. This um, There's this star chart on page 71 which is they say how big it is um but it's it's from the year 700 and this is before telescopes there are 1300 stars like m- mapped out on this long 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 sky i think it's like 20 feet big like seriously hmm. who that anybody had the patience or <laughs> wherewithal to do that and it's in the divination section of the book but the star chart like these are real these are real things these concepts these these things that harry ron and hermione play with at school you know people maybe devoted their life to it humans yeah. 13 1400 years ago it's, um by the way it's opening in new york in late 2018 damn okay <laughs> good to know we can't it's just open. go there when we go see cursed child yeah no unfortunately not but um, Do they say where yet? I assume New York Public Library uh, would make sense. And that's where they did uh, the Beetle the Bard display when. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. It's so, not going to be the know. Discovery Center because they just opened Gulliver's Gate there uh, with like a twenty-year lease because oh. that's where Harry Potter the exhibition was. So. Oh okay. Right. They do have a photo of Beetle the Bard in this book, and I'm wondering if they have this Beetle the Bard on display. And I'm talking about one of the handwritten Beetle the Bard books that, um, remember, J.K. Rowling made seven of these yeah, for right. charity. If they have that on display, that would be so cool. Listed. Why? I thought you didn't like Beetle the Bard, Andrew. <laughs> oh, ah! no, that was what was on display at the, the New York Public Library. They did a whole thing around it. Oh, okay. It's yeah. listed as well, private collection. There's also like a handwritten care. version of Warlock's Harry Heart, the best Beetle the Bard story. <laughs> That's true. Thank you. I'm glad you agree with me. Arvid. Yeah. Oh, I love Beetle the Bard. It's like probably my favorite bit of Apocrypha. Yeah. All right. We'll leave it there for now. Check it out. It should be in bookstores everywhere. Definitely on Amazon. Um, and good job. Props to J.K. Rowling and everyone for, 
for making that book happen. Yeah, this is the first companion yeah. book that I really, really, really believe is worth owning. Um, oh, wow. Look I at that. Yeah, I picked I'll it up. I'll second that. I couldn't put it down. I read it cover to cover at 2 a.m. overnight. So, yeah. And you get like the abridged version of all the illustrated editions. So if you don't want to go out and spend whatever it costs to buy those, you can just get this <laughs> yeah, book that's for 12 true. bucks. They, they literally take the two best pieces of artwork from the illustrated Prisoner of Azkaban that just came out and put them here in full page uh, yeah. spreads. And there's the more than that. The one of Lupin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's from the earlier books as well. So, yeah. Okay. Let's... I love the portrait of Dumbledore because, yeah, that's my thing. And they have the one of Harry in front of the mirror of Erised, which I just love. Um, yep. Trelawney. Anyway, um, let's do some quizage. Yay. All right. Irvin's going to get it, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you... I've gotten every single one you've ever asked, so. Wow, and these are my, these are my hardest. I'm uh, deliberately choosing the ones that I, well, 18-year-old me thought were the hardest questions imaginable. Um, yeah, I'm no longer no. allowed to play trivia with the New York City Harry Potter group. Uh, <laughs> they just said it's not fair. What? Really? Yeah. Yeah, it's Come a to thing. Chicago, we could use your help. Okay. Yeah. Because, yeah, I, I, I keep winning trivia AD, Harry Potter trivia in New York, so maybe it'll be more challenging in Chicago. I think it will be. So last week's question, uh, Quizit's question, I wanted to say both those words at once, and it came out Quasich. Quizit's question, which Hogwarts student once lost an eye in an encounter with the Whomping Willow? And do you know this, Irvin? Yeah, Davy Gudgeon. Yeah, yeah, of course. Davy Gudgeon. Everybody knows Davy Gudgeon, right? Good old yeah. Davy G. <laughs> um, so that was the answer to that question. I forgot to ask that on Twitter, so we don't have a list of winners. Sorry, guys. I'll be better next Come week. on. Uh, but the answer to that question can be found on 120, page 120 of Prisoner of As. Wait, no, not Prisoner of Azkaban. Uh, Chamber Secrets. Okay. Okay, next week's quiz is question. Pick a book between one and three. Urban, you three. Pick. Three. Okay, here we go. And let me see. Michael, <laughs> we're going to have to come up with questions for four through seven. There are websites for that. <laughs> okay. I'm going to pick a really hard one for you, Irvin. All right. Should I answer it if I know it? Uh, maybe or, or do you want to let the listeners answer? Um, okay. uh, let the listeners answer. Okay. okay. Uh, towards the end of the year, uh, Harry's third year, what did the students have to do for Snape's potions exam? So the final year exam for potions... What did the students have to do for it? Okay. This that is a good question. Go open up the Twitter account and post it right, do it right now. We have, like, uh, we have to wait. Well, right now. And we're going to go to voicemails right now. Just a note, if you call in, we do appreciate it. But please keep your voicemails a minute or less in length. I'm listening to all of them. But we, we, we don't want to spend too much time um, on individual calls. So just get to the point with a... Voicemail of a, uh, a minute or less. Thank mm -hmm. you. If you go over by a couple of seconds, of course, it's not a major problem, but um, we'd appreciate that for the sake of time. So here is our first voicemail today. Hey, what's up, Marvel Cast? This is Quan from South Texas. 
I have a theory. It's kind of a dark one about the uh, the plot of maybe how these next several movies go. And uh, what if uh, Grindelwald actually started World War II? What if he was the reason that Hitler became where he was? What if Hitler was actually imperious and Grindelwald's solution to the Muggle problem was actually Hitler's solution to the problem with the Jews? I know it's a dark theory, but what if uh, J.K. Rowling actually uses real history to create her plot and intertwines World War II with Grindelwald's goals? And it is kind of convenient that Grindelwald was defeated in 1945, which, as everybody knows, is when World War II ended. So tell me what you think. Great listening to you all again, and uh, keep it coming, guys. Thanks. Bye. That is a dark theory, and that would be kind of insane if she connected it to uh, World War II. Yeah. The connection is already there. It has been ever since Prisoner or Philosopher's Stone when the Dark Wizard Grindelwald was said to be defeated in 1945. You can make the connection that World War II was just ending at the same time. Clearly, the wizards had something to do with it, but I'm not sure that Grindelwald would have, like, imperious Hitler. I, d- I think it would be too dangerous. Joe would open up too big of a can of worms if she had Grindelwald interfering that much with the course of world history. I could be wrong. Maybe I'll eat these. I words. agree. And I think it also would sort of absolve Hitler of the responsibility for the terrible things he did, which yeah. I'm not sure Rowling wants to do. No. Yeah, I I agree with with all those thoughts and Eric, what you said about how the comparison already exists. I I think it's fair to say that there's going to be a parallel between what's going on in the wizarding world and what's going on in the 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 Muggle world. There's no question, and to have these two figures rising to power at the same time is not a coincidence. Uh, Hmm. And then just thinking about uh, Nurmengard probably in in some ways will mirror what went on in concentration camps. Yeah. (laughs) Probably. So So suffice to say, and you know, world war one is mentioned in the fantastic beasts film. Um, We find out that newt was with dragons in Romania or something, Um, but, or the Eastern front. Yeah. But so, I mean, these are big things that will show up in the films, but I think it'll just be safe to say that, while all of that is happening in the muggle world, something will be happening in the wizarding world. But I don't know how related that J.K. Rowling is going to get comfortable making them. Um, that's my theory. Okay, here's another voicemail. This this person recently went to the Wizarding World theme park. Hey, MuggleCast. The better recording, I hope. Um, I was really excited this morning when I called you. Um, anyways, I wanted to talk about a story and a theory I had, or... Suggestion? I don't know. Um, but when me and my girlfriend went down to Universal Studios for the first time in Florida, and one of the big things we wanted to go for was for the Harry Potter itself. Um, now, I, had, I hadn't been as deep into the fandom as I used to be when I was younger. I'm 23 now. I was way super into it when I was uh, high school and middle school and well, in school in general. Um, but, uh, so when we go down there, um, it kind of rekindled my love, kind of brought brought it back home, and uh, that's how I find you guys actually with being looking for something a little bit more uh, to listen to during the day. Um, 
But anyways, we go to the Green Gots ride, the say from Green Gots, and it was our first time. We were super excited. We got it under 20 minutes wait time, and so we're flying through the line. Um, and we get to the part where Voldemort and Bellatrix are um, attacking you, and then everything goes black. Everything, all the lights are off, everything. And being first time, we thought it was kind of part of the ride. And then all of a sudden, over the speaker, it says, Oh, sorry for technical difficulties. We're having an issue with the ride. And so all the lights turn on, and we're in this entire big thing suspended over nothing. And so we don't really know what's happening. And then so about 20, 30 minutes go by, and every all the lights turn off, and then all of a sudden it does that thing, you know. And I couldn't help but curse really loud next to a child, and I felt really bad because I thought I was going to die. And when we got done with the ride, they offered to let us back on it, but at that moment in time, I wasn't feeling it at all. All in all, it was a great experience. Like I said, it brought back brought me back home to the uh, Harry Potter fandom a little bit more. Um, also, so I think you guys were talking about how they're going to incorporate uh, Young Dumbledore younger new and everyone and uh Grindelwald. Um what if since Grindelwald is part of Durmstrang, do you think he and Dumbledore and they're all gonna be connected with like a tri wizard flashback or something like that? That would that would put them all together at one time, I think. Um thank you guys for all the free funnies and all the great enter- entertainment. Um, and I will continue to listen to you guys and support you guys as much as I possibly can. Um, you guys have a great day. Thank you for everything. Bye. Thank you. It's very cool. This guy, so this guy basically found us after going to the theme park, being like, oh man, I still love Harry Potter after all. Then went looking for Harry Potter podcasts. And here we are today. Um, and just about the ride, you know, these rides do break down. It is kind of funny how it played out for you since it was your first time. But don't worry, none of these rides are going to kill you, even if they break down. They're all very safe. (laughs) As for this theory, he thinks um, Dumbledore and Grindelwald could be together at a Triwizard Tournament. Is that what he said? I thought there hadn't been one of those for a thousand years. Ah, yeah. Not a thousand, but a couple hundred for sure. Yeah, so that that would kind of bust that theory, but... But thanks for calling in. Thanks for uh, your feedback. We did. There was one more voicemail I wanted to mention. The call quality was pretty bad, though, so I'm not going to play it. Um, her name was Nat. Uh, she was upset because we kind of zinged Lord of the Rings, or potentially I zinged Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I think because we were talking about the number of books, and I, maybe it was just like, oh, there was only three, so it's not as detailed or something as Harry Potter. <laughs> I absolutely know that the Lord of the Rings is an amazing series. I haven't read it, but... Of course, I've heard nothing but great things about the books. And, of course, everybody loves the movies as well. So, no hate on Lord of the Rings, Nat. She was saying, she brought it up because she, Harry Potter, sorry, Lord of the Rings got her, she was a fan of Lord of the Rings before Harry Potter. So, she holds it very close to her heart. All right, I'll just keep my mouth shut. Oh, don't even, Irvin, you're very controversial. It's what I do. (laughs) Um, if you want to call in with your own voicemail, you can dial one nine two zero three Muggle in the U.S. Add a number one out on the front of it, so it would be one nine two zero three Muggle. That's one nine two zero three six eight four four five three. Also got our 
P.O. Box 4044 North Lincoln Avenue, Box 144, Chicago IL 60618. And you can also just contact us the old-fashioned way. No, not mail. By visiting MuggleCast.com. And you can click on Send Us an Owl at the top, and there will be a feedback form at the bottom or just email mugglecast at gmail.com or twitter account which is mugglecast Ooh. let us know what do you think of the book yeah leave voicemail all these things mm-hmm. do trivia do trivia we're so interactive here on mugglecast play quizich Irvin, thanks for joining us you are great Thanks so much for having me. I've been fanboying you guys for so long that, you know, it's been kind of a dream come true. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Well, you did a great job. You're you're worthy of the position. And uh, keep keep writing for uh, MuggleNet and Hypable. I know we both appreciate it. Definitely will. Uh, I appreciate you guys, you know, putting my work out there. And, you know, look for The Life and Lies of Brian coming sometime 2018. (laughs) Love it. The Monty Python uh, uh, analysis book, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And go. what's your Patreon name again? Username? Uh, HPBoy13. Okay, cool. Uh, same name I write under. Is it boy with a Y or an I? Uh, with a Y. Why? I would be a whole other type of Patreon, I think. Boy, boy. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the kids are doing these days. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's the screen name I came up with when I was 13 and write, started writing fan fiction, and, you know, oh, it just kind of stuck. Boy. That's cute. Okay. Cool. Yeah, AIM is, a, a wants the messenger is shutting down soon. That made me think about my old screen names. Which one of them was HPS House, which was yeah. for Harry Potter's house. <laughs> my old Sirius website. Four two three. Yeah. Oh yeah. Rip. Rip to them all. Rip to them oh. all. You can visit our own Patreon over at Patreon.com/slash/MuggleCast. Um, we'll put a link to Urban's Patreon in the show notes. And also, Thanks, there's guys. A- yeah, there's a Facebook group for our patrons, which I don't think Irving are are you in this? Are you in this? Uh no, I'm not on Facebook, so. Oh, okay. Well, that okay, then you're yeah. So, if anybody's on Facebook and is a patron of ours, you can get access to this Facebook group. You just need to follow two instructions that are on Patreon and I I couldn't make them more clear, but I can repost them just for everybody who wants in on the Facebook group. It's very active. It uh, is. Very active. Yeah. Um but to access them to access those instructions, go to the Patreon, click on on the desktop, you'll see a link on the left. It says benefits, and mm-hmm. then you can you can learn how to apply to become a co-host. If you're at the Slug Club level, you can add our audio benefits to your own potty, podcast app. Not potty app, podcast app. Potty app. <laughs> and you can also <laughs> learn how to join the Facebook group, like Eric said. It is real easy. It's only a couple steps. So make sure you do that. We People have been asking, and that there's your answer. Yeah. Also, over on patreon.com slash mugglecast, you can get ad-free versions of the show, access the show notes. You can join us for our live recordings. Thanks, everybody, who has been listening today um, and several other benefits. So check it all out over at patreon.com slash mugglecast. I see our Slug Club membership um, level is now full. We've hit... Uh, we've, Whoa, Really? Well, That's awesome. It, we we had a limit for we limited it because of the sticker sets. So we only had enough stickers available. So we'll get the stickers out to the remaining people who haven't received them. And then actually we will have to open up the ten dollar level again to let more people in to apply to become a MuggleCast co host and embarrassment of riches TBH. Thanks everybody for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. 
I'm Micah. And I'm Irvin. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>